smartcast you are listening to a mint production brought to you by hd smartcast on january 21 2013 sebi came up with the concept of registered investment advisors rias who were tasked with the job of helping investors take the correct investment decisions to plan for their future to capture how the ri ecosystem has developed over the last 10 years we spoke with harsh rongta founder fee only investment advisors in today's episode of why not mint money hi welcome to why not mint money a personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth so let's get started on your money journey Uh, hi Harsh, welcome to our latest episode of Why Not Mint Money. Uh, so uh, Harsh, I wanted to start with what was your career like before you became an RIA? Uh, so Josh, as you can see, I'm an experienced chartered accountant. Uh, that's a better way of saying than saying I'm an old chartered accountant. Most of my working career outside of being an entrepreneur has been spent with uh, ICICI. Uh, so I I spent two years doing hardcore tax. in the then largest tax firm then spent 5 years with icici doing leasing and investment banking uh, divisions uh, then became an entrepreneur uh, and ran an investment banking outfit went back to icici which was this a change year which year was this okay. you can so so i qualified as a chartered accountant in 83 did 2 years of hardcore taxation a stint that has stood me in good stead throughout my life including till today from 85 to 90 i worked in the uh, leasing and the investment banking departments of icici as a junior officer uh, in 1990 i became an entrepreneur for the first time and started an investment banking outfit along with two of my uh, icici colleagues uh, we ran that for about 8 years before i came back to icici in uh, 1998 to set up icici's retail lending business from scratch that was my turning point from wholesale banking to retail banking and i fell in love with retail i fell in love with dealing with real people not companies uh, so 98 to 2000 was a hectic period during which launched a lot of products for icici 2000 again the entrepreneurial bug bit me and i uh, started apna loan dot uh, com which was ultimately which morphed into another company called apna paisa dot com and in 2015 i exited that by selling my stake uh, and uh, that is how i ended up in advisory uh simply because i think uh, i wish i could say that it was by design but at that stage uh, uh, i had signed a non compete i could not do whatever i had been doing my entire life uh, i had a license uh, we had taken a license even whilst uh, the apna paisa was going on the license was in my individual name uh, and that license i activated when i exited from apnapaisa.com sure and in which year did you get that license ri license 
2013 i got that license Achha. in 2013 okay. okay we had a couple of clients in 2013 yeah okay sure sure and uh, you know what was the financial advisory landscape like before uh, the rri regulations came into the picture so i do not have uh, personal uh, knowledge about the financial advisory landscape simply because for me the regulations were a trigger to get into this i was among the first ones to apply for the license apply and get the license in 2013 as i said it was a little dormant i had a couple of clients but not uh, too many at that time i was busy uh, running apnapaisa.com uh and i activated it in 2015 really full time activated it in uh, 2015 but obviously the regulation helped put this profession together because it created rules and it created regulations i think it helped uh, all of us to look at this as a serious career choice and uh, can you tell us who was your first client and how was the first year of your practice so as i mentioned the first two years if you count 2013 then the first two years i mean it it is there a little hazy in my memory because my main focus was on uh, running apnapaisa.com uh, so we had i i had at that time i think because the license was in my personal name uh, at that time i think during those two years i had maybe three or four clients Uh, some of them survive i am not sure which one of them are is the first client okay. uh, but, but was, uh, these were friends and families mostly no it was not friend and family okay. in fact till date uh, except for one client i do not have friends yes family no okay okay even friends, the initial set were not uh, necessarily like you knew them the initial sets were not even friends it is okay. only when i started in 2015 right because that's when i looked at it a little more seriously and then obviously your natural uh, market of friends comes i've never done marketing and because you don't do marketing and it takes time before people come to know that you are in this profession now uh it, it, so it was obviously initially friends who sort of uh, uh took your advice and uh, paid for it uh before you know then this is very much a referral practice right. because right, right. It, and therefore it is slow it is concentric circles you know the first yeah. circle is friends actually family has never really been although family takes my advice i think uh, there is this natural reluctance on both sides to get enter into a yeah, yeah, yeah. professional relationship right, right right with friends also sometimes there is sensitivity but i think that is handleable yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, with family i think we have except as i said one person we have not had an um, sure. we don't have a single client from uh, sure. family uh no uh, so what i was trying to ask is that uh, you know in the initial not in the initial period so much but like in 2015 uh, you know how that first year of practice wo- was i mean are you saying that in the initial period like after 2015 and you activated your license there were mostly friends that came on board and then it kind of grew from there right so i remember back as that period being intensely satisfying and being intensely frustrating at the same time okay okay 
it was intensely satisfying because at last i was doing things that you know i loved doing okay uh i mean i always did things that i loved doing uh but it, it is very personal i think the difference between uh, what i do as an investment advisory okay versus whatever else i have done everything has been very challenging but this is when you do something like all our clients are uh, before i answer your question just allow me this uh, thing ki all my clients i have a very limited set of clients with whom i have very high involvement that has been our model low number of clients complete involvement with uh, each of those clients and with most of those clients during the course of the engagement either during the beginning somewhere in the middle there is this aha moment that happens when a client realizes boss ye nahi pata tha mujhe and what a revelation this is okay uh, and when that happens okay it gives an intense sense of satisfaction to you when you make people's people change their lives because of the way you advise them it gives you an intense satisfaction i think that level of satisfaction uh, was uh, is this one is definitely the highest level of satisfaction that i have had answering what was the frustration then uh, at that time obviously it was initially friends i think the biggest frustration there were two frustrations the biggest frustrations was there were a lot of conversion a uh, lot of conversations friends would come slowly they came to know okay that you know harsh is doing this investment at that time now the license is in an llp in those days it was in a, a individual name so they came to know that uh, he is doing this investment advisory practice they would come talk and then radio silence okay uh till so that was very frustrating i think that was one thing the the sales cycle sales is a bad word i think the conversion cycle okay was way way too long a lot of them came back and converted but it takes a lot of time they not only converted then they give referrals again that takes time before that builds up into a steady stream so that was one frustration the pace at which conversations got converted into relationships professional relationships that was one second also was because from the beginning we were giving high quality service that has a certain fixed cost attached to it i always worked out i've never worked from an off uh, from home i've always even when i had just two people with me uh, a, a two people staff i would work from an office uh and therefore you have expenses fortunately because of the uh, career that i had at that time i was not financially dependent on the practice but the frustration was that i was running a practice and paying for expenses which were not covered by the income and those two frustrations were quite quite high actually right so if i may ask you know because this is one aspect that doesn't get talked about a lot you know how much time did it actually take for you to break even and kind of recover uh somewhat maybe uh, not maybe fully maybe partially or 
you know recover the fixed cost the sunk cost from the practice so so it will also so i will give my answer but it may not necessarily apply to other people because you know i had fixed cost which normally people don't have okay i i took an office a very good office on rent etc uh and therefore i incurred some cost which a normal person would not probably have incurred uh but it took me a good i think 3 years okay before the break even happened after that the recovery was because this is a cumulative practice okay you are making money on incremental amounts you have a sip book okay on which your fee uh, keeps on accumulating so because of that ultimately once it turned the corner once you had enough clients after that recovering the first two years investments uh, were not it didn't take too long it didn't take too long in the last 10 years since you have uh, seen the ri practice grow the industry grow more competition come i mean i wouldn't say competition because it's still 1300 ris but more uh, advisors coming in Uh, how have you seen the overall advisory landscape change in the last past 10 years so i'll answer that in two three parts okay the first part is unfortunately we don't even have 1300 advisors i think we have 600 advisors okay uh, because uh, 1300 are the so if you in that 1300 there are two licenses one is in my name personal name and one is fee only investment advisors so there is a lot of double counting that is there and obviously in my personal name i have not registered with bsc because i have given up that license so actual number is much less than that okay uh, and that so some things have gone really well some things haven't gone really well among the things that haven't gone well is the fact that the in terms of number the profession hasn't grown and if as a profession what is, what is our think it is our profession's job i will not take it as me as a as a profession okay it is our job to impact our clients lives for the better and if we don't have sufficient number of people we are 1.4 billion people okay 1.4 billion people 600 or 1300 also if you take that number that number just does not stack up right so something's just not working out right uh so that's i think the part that hasn't really worked out what is the part that has worked out i think thanks to a lot of good work by media houses uh, such as yourselves thanks to good work by the uh, pioneers uh, in this uh, profession okay uh, almost all of us are in uh, aria but there are pioneers outside aria as well okay uh the all of us together okay have created a groundswell okay of support or need for the profession okay so i think there is a clear groundswell earlier even i would feel ki will people pay fees and that's a that's an issue that keeps cropping up and people feel ki for senior people like us it's not an issue it's not an issue today clearly not an issue today was it an issue when i started my practice you bet it was okay uh so i think that has clearly changed okay 
but that has changed because the number of rias are less okay i hope that the number of rias increase because i think the profession needs recognition and recognition cannot come unless there are sufficient numbers so once that happens okay what will happen i don't know but as of today uh, clients willing to pay fees at least is not a issue for the people who are practicing this today is is what i would uh, feel so that's the good thing that's happened over 10 years the other good thing that's happened over 10 years uh, is that the community and we formed ourselves into uh, this community called aria uh, and that community is so powerful so i spoke about my frustrations and i want to put it on record that i was so frustrated i thought about quitting the profession okay uh and it was thanks to a mentor like suresh suresh sadagopan of uh, ladder 7 who was i think the first person very aptly that you covered uh, in this uh, series uh, it when i spoke to him i was fortunate that i was able to speak to him he he sort of made sure that i went through that phase he literally talked to me through that uh, phase i remember he calling me up even after our uh, meeting as to you know what has happened as something and i think this kind of feeling i have not seen in other i am a chartered accountant by qualification uh, of course i have never practiced so i would not know but i have a lot of chartered accountants friends this kind of a feeling for looking out for each other a community feeling it just does not exist in any other profession so i think that is the great thing and that is why we are very very hopeful that we have built a base in this 10 years that the next 10 years will be the golden period not just for india also because it is a golden period for india it will be a golden period for the ria profession as well sure uh, but i wanted to ask you why this uh, stunted growth of ris in india why it has not taken off as you know probably it should have so one i think if you look at uh, you know any of these things you know i i uh, I, i don't know josh how old are you i am 35 years 35 that means 1987 you were born in right uh, no i'm th- 1988 so yeah 34 34 35 34. okay uh, so you may not remember so i'm trying to pick an example that uh, you will understand but let me pick the one that's most apt the uh, national stock exchange was formed in uh, 1992 i think 3 or 2 okay dmat was made compulsory in 95 or 96 okay the percentage of dmat trading i think that when became compulsory in 96 97 okay but you look at the percentage of shares that were converted into dmat it took a good 8 9 10 years before that happened and if you look at the hockey stick of trading volumes it is a 10 12 year phenomenon after a nationwide screen based stock trading system was launched right it takes time it takes time for any new concept to catch on and it wasn't even a new concept stock trading was always there okay it is not going to take that long for this profession 
the one reason why it has got definitely one major reason has been the uh, regulatory uh, tightening that happened in 2020 uh, in response to other things i think that the tightening was needed okay but i think the tightening was too much and uh, very clearly that is something uh, if the profession has to grow and it will happen because the profession is needed so there is no question uh, that eventually we will see this uh, uh, loosening up happen how when is up for anybody to say uh, moving on to more positive things uh, i wanted to ask you harsh what has been your i problem? thought i was very positive about this <laughs> <laughs> even more positive taking it up a notch <laughs> What has been your proudest moment of serving a client? So, I think many, many uh, moments. I'm just trying to pick up a, a specific uh, uh, point. So, I, I'm going to give two, three. You can decide which ones you like the best. Okay. As I told you, uh, what this gives me is when a client actually tells me. So, I have had a client, very, very senior person, extremely senior person. Uh, if I am, if I would have named, you would know exactly who that person is. And that person was considering a career change, was considering a uh, buying a larger house, etc. Okay, in all those moments, okay, I was the person the client was talking to. At the end of it, we sort of took the client through the various trade-offs that are inevitably there in any such move at the end of that the one sentence that the client said is that i'm glad you are in my life this was much more than a client advisor relationship although it's a completely professional relationship okay that's that's one the second is that one of our clients worked for a top world global three consultancy he was looking to switch and become an entrepreneur okay the startups were the craze but this person is not that young okay. mid 40s uh he was naturally afraid okay so there were two things that we did for him one was the standard advisory thing that you did right okay this is the amount of money you have how long do you think are you putting in any money no what will happen two years later are you feeling you will get a a job if you come back into the job market yes i will get what is the impact your goals are already met okay that's those are numbers but those numbers are extremely important so you do those numbers you look at and say medical all that that was great okay so that part you do that's essential okay but more than that, I spoke to him about my own experience. I had quit this job from ICICI to do a startup. It was scary. Okay. And this was scary for me when I had a safety net. I mean, family was reasonably well off, etc. Uh, despite that, it was scary. Okay. For him, similar. He had that safety net, which we sort of made that out to him ki here you have the safety net so first you have to make sure people don't calculate that they have a safety net that we did for him 
but more importantly this leap that you know uh, if you don't do it now when will you do it do you want to do it we do what is called life planning i think some of the other planners have also spoken about it right and when you do this and you ask a client ki you know if you were on your deathbed the question is structured slightly differently but ki you know if you are on your deathbed now you have no more time to do what is the one thing you think you know you ought to have done when you still had the time okay uh, and if that question comes back most frequent answer is oh i wish i had spent more time with my family right uh, and so then we tell him you are not on your deathbed right so i mean yeah. what stopping you from spending more time with your family now okay right. that's one in his case he said ki i wish i had the guts to i mean if i was on my deathbed okay i wish because he had had opportunities in the past which right. he did not take so he wish he said i, I wish i would have done this and uh, so i think that kind of coaching plus an experienced person talking about yes it is scary okay but if you don't take the leap in you have a safety net so even if you first of all you are very very experienced the chance that you know you will catch the handlebar on the other side are very high even if you don't there is a safety net below if not leap now when right again he left hmm. okay uh, i wish i could have told you that he has gone into a uh, unicorn his company is still not a unicorn is doing okay okay but he is very happy that he was able to take the decision right okay now whichever way it goes okay right. he is he is he has told me this in so many terms that you know i'm very very happy that i took that decision and thank you for helping right. me take the decision uh, one regret something you had recommended in good faith but it didn't turn out that well for investors so i think if we look back on decisions that didn't go right okay uh, i think the issue is not with the decisions themselves the issue is with the expectations that you had created and if i was to and obviously you never manage clients expectations always to the extent you do and sometimes even when you think you have done that the clients are not listening okay uh, but let me pick the first thing when we probably didn't manage those expectations well uh, and here was a client who very clearly had a low risk profile a low risk capacity and he had plenty of money I, I, in terms of uh, keeping it in a bank fixed deposit okay and at that time our reading the only time we do timing is in debt investments we never do timing in equities only in debt investments we do timing and at that time i was convinced that you know the interest rates have sort of peaked and we are going to see uh, you know the interest rates come down this is which uh, period I, i don't remember the exact okay. period okay no problem go back okay uh, but i was reasonably convinced that this is peaked okay i think it was after the taper tantrums i think i'm not sure uh, Uh, around late 2013 uh, or so uh, and so therefore we recommended that you move your money 
to from bank fixed deposit to this long term 15 year plus kind of a gsec fund okay uh, now we did it in good faith anyways he was a long term holder we had told him that you have to hold till maturity okay uh, to get that minimum return even that you know at that time the uh, rate that he held was pretty good but we told him you have to sort of uh, hold it till maturity uh, what i don't think i think what we didn't do was to tell him that the on a daily basis your nav will fluctuate okay and i think the fact for a client that in a debt fund the nav fluctuates and these were early days of our advisory practice okay uh, it probably it was must have been during the apna paisa days okay uh, when i was still running apna paisa and this was sure. well, something i was just doing little bit right uh, i think it was during those days and because we didn't manage that when the interest rates went up it went up a tad i remember it wasn't all that much okay okay obviously the nav dropped because this was pretty long term right right okay. right uh, and the client just sort of exited uh, okay. because it was gsex right safety people i mean i think creating that expectation that capital not only is preserved will grow at a certain rate but at the end of the period you might see temporary blips in your capital at least in your capital itself right in the context of a gsec not creating that expectation was a huge learning uh, for me at that time uh, and i think that is what i got wrong but in fact the decision didn't go wrong if you had right. held on you would have made lots of money in that as some of our other clients did okay okay, okay. Uh, it is just that uh, because we had not managed those expectations right sure sure uh, you know uh, he lost money and <laughs> we didn't feel good about it. and uh, right over the last 10 years how has your practice grown if you can take us through that journey so see today i would have about uh, uh, 50 odd client families that i uh, manage with about 300 crores of assets under advice okay uh, in my, if you treat 2015 as the first year at that time uh, obviously at the end of the year i would have had 2 3 crores of assets under advice okay uh, i'm not counting my own so outside external uh maybe three or four clients that that would be the uh, kind of growth right uh, that is uh, happening and how big is your team now how many people are there in your team so i would have uh, three what are called persons associated with investment advice i would have uh, other than myself i have uh, uh, operations uh, person couple of interns uh, we have a external uh, research we have compliance com- accounts so about 7 8 people 
Okay, sure. And all are based out of Mumbai. I mean, you don't have offices elsewhere, right? That's... You don't have offices elsewhere. Okay, okay, sure. But we have clients everywhere. So okay. our okay. clients are not. In fact, only about maybe thirteen, fourteen of the clients are from Bombay. Okay, out of fifty. Okay. Otherwise, it's like uh, like almost pan India kind of a thing. It's pan India global. We have a quite a few NRI clients. Okay. okay, sure, sure, sure. Uh, and also, I wanted to ask you how much of your own advice uh, you take for yourself. How 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 much of that you use uh, to uh, towards your own personal finances. So I think what are the basic things that we tell people? Okay, that everything is run by asset allocation. Don't do timing. Okay, profit booking, fresh investments. Don't do timing. Okay, profit booking should be done if at all profit booking or fresh investments needs to be done in allo- uh, around asset allocation. Okay, and balanced uh, advantage that way is our most preferred fund. Except to the extent you are aggressive, <clears throat> do it as per your risk profile. So, and the risk profile is a combination of your innate risk taking abilities, okay, your needs, okay, and the ability to absorb a loss, okay, capacity. Uh, if you look at those principles, the asset allocation that I have. It very clearly matches that, except in one thing, one asset has grown out of proportion, and that happens to be a real estate asset. Okay, uh, so to that much extent, you can say I do not follow my own advice. I am not a very pro real estate person, uh, but that just grew. Okay, and uh, but except for that, everything else I have, I have allocation. Driven allocation, percentage allocation, driven allocation to gold, percentage driven asset allocation to international equity, and mostly a balanced advantage uh, investment uh, in debt and equity. That sort of is self balancing. My risk capital is invested in high risk uh, PMSs. Uh, and that's how I manage, and that's what I would. So, would I advise what I have? Uh, if I was a client for myself, would I do what? Uh, you know, would this be the advice I would give uh, to a person like me who was a client? The answer is yes, except as I said for that yeah, real estate, uh, which has worked out positively. So, okay, complain. okay, sure. And uh, according to you, what's the hardest part of uh, being a uh, being an advisor, being a, a registered investment advisor in India? So, personally speaking, the hardest part is the frustration when a client does not take, does not implement your advice. Okay, even though she or she agrees to the advice, they don't implement it, and you know it is in there. I mean, a simple thing is making a will. We have clients with whom we have to follow up multiple times, and they will still not make a will. So I think that is a slightly frustrating, and it's a hard part uh, uh, for us. I'm just trying to think. I would not like to limit it to myself. Okay, I think uh, this is a great uh, 
arena for uh, you know catching the attention of the regulators as well i think right. the hard part uh, for most young advisors okay uh, is getting uh, access to clients and i think that's okay. where uh, at aria we are doing a couple of things that we hope to sort of address that Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Harsh, for joining us today and talking to us uh, about how RI regulations uh, have, uh, you know, of course, created this new uh, category of investment advisors, but also, you know, maybe some tweaks here and there can even enable further growth. And also, you know, your own financial journey and, uh, you know, how you as an RI have had to deal with your own fair share of challenges as well as, uh, you know, the kind of moments you shared some moving stories there so thanks for joining us that's it for today's episode thank you listeners for tuning in if you want to reach out to me for any ideas for our next episode you can dm me on twitter my twitter handle is at the rate jash kriplani that is j a s h k r i p l a n i you can also write to us at mintmoney@livemint.com This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.